Hi, I'm Larry, and welcome to my podcast, where I talk about all things technology and how it affects the various aspects of our lives. Today, I'll be talking to Isaac Maxi, and I have never told him this, but when I was in university, he was one of the people I admired a lot. I still admire him. And from time to time, I ping him and ask him for life advice. Or I don't, I don't, although I don't add a tag, this is life advice. I ask him for lessons or things before I make major decisions. Maxe was the former CTO of Glimsync. In fact, let me not rant about who Maxe is. Let me let Maxe introduce himself. So my guest today is Isaac. Arnold Maxi, could you kindly introduce yourself properly? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, thank you, um, Larry. Um, as um, I affectionately call him, uh, Larry Pitch, mm-hmm. uh, just because of his technical prowess. I mean, um, yes, my introductions are always short. I, I try to make them as short as possible, um, and it may be devoid of all the details that uh, other people. Um, would like to have. So yes, the name as he said, um, um, I have I have two two boys, um, one seven, one eight months, and then my wife um, of uh, eight years of marriage. Um, uh, yeah, so I currently work with my farmer as a lead quality assurance engineer. Uh, before then, I was with Genki. Um, as a senior software engineer, and then later as a QA, uh, senior QA engineer. Then before that, I was at um, Glimsync, which was acquired by Genki. And at Glimsync, I, I was a CTO, just as Larry mentioned before. Um, yeah, before then, I was a engineer in training at a multi-tenant entrepreneur school of technology. And then before then, I was a student at the University of Cape Coast. Yes. So um, that, that is me. Uh, maybe as we go along, more details will come up and I would have to share them. So could you tell us what a quality assurance engineer is? Yes. Um, so um, in other companies, they, they call it a um, test engineer, test engineer, testing engineer, test engineer. Um, Quality assurance usually is more a broader term. It goes beyond just testing. Um, so um, it will be putting in place all the processes um, and all the procedures and methodologies that would assure that um, a product or as engineers go through that process, the, what they produce at the end of that process is at a certain level of quality, right? Um, and in that process is testing. So testing is one part of that process. So it could be making sure that the whole software development process is efficient. So it will involve what PM should go through when they're doing requirement engineer or how they write their stories, for instance. Um, it will involve how, what standards engineers should uphold when they are coding. And then at the tail end of it, we have tests, testing, where you know you have people who come in to you know, verify your code, verify that, the product that you have built that in fact meets the requirements of the user, right? So, um, so quality assurance is that whole broad thing. 
right? It encompasses uh, it encompasses in, in in there we have testing, right? Um, yes, in, in some places now they have what they call the test engineer, uh, test engineer, whose job is not just doing manual testing, but now we're looking at automation engineer as well, where they now apply automate the right script to automate testing. Yes, so I mean yes, in in more higher level that would be quality assurance uh, engineer. So as informer, um, it, it's more of all, you know, um, having all that process in place and also being a test engineer as well. And so at informer, we use the term loosely, right? Um, so we have a queue engineers whose job would be testing. Um, but once in a while, they ensure that, you know, engineers are going through the process. And rather than not to make the whole process manual, we have put in place some, you know, um, some procedures along the way that we believe that once engineers go through that process, we actually have a certain level of quality. Uh, but usually, uh, the employees or the engineers are basically doing testing. And then you have, you know, um, the ideas coming through from <laughs> high level or the chapter lead. Implemented by everybody. Yeah, uh, I hope I'm very clear enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's quite clear. Um, so I would like to go back to the ClaimSync days. Um, tell us a bit more about ClaimSync. And yes, ClaimSync. Yes, uh -huh, and um, so tell us a bit more about ClaimSync and how you got into ClaimSync. I think maybe. In previous episodes, people have mentioned the MEST program. So maybe just a brief about MEST and then the ClaimSync. Yes. Um, ClaimSync, sure. Um, it brings down, you know, it brings down some very wonderful memories. I, I think being a ClaimSync was uh, had the, one of the best times of my life. You know, I'm having the opportunity to, to grow and be responsible for something. You know, that's very important. Uh, so, um, as I said, Meltwater Entrepreneurial School of Technology, I think it's a, it's a, it's a school, a training school um, that has been established by the Meltwater, you know, incorporated. And the idea is to be able to train world-class software engineers who would come up with, you know, ideas that can compete internationally, right, on the international stage. So you'd have many people sitting in Accra, Ghana, um, where, you know, coming up with these ideas, uh, which when they're able to, you know, which they're able to evolve it into a product, that product can compete with, you know, <clears throat> quite good applications. And, um, and we have had such good products coming through. And so I was in the third cohort um, of the MESH program. And how I got into that program, maybe that's a little bit interesting. So when I was in my, when I was in university. Um, I was really confused what I was going to after school because um, one, I don't like reporting to people. Um, that's because like I work at my own time. Like I have a different style of working. Like I think most engineers like that independence where you know they like to relax or work at their own pace. Sometimes it could be fast, sometimes it could be slow, depending on their mood and stuff like that. Like, I didn't like the whole idea of waking up and reporting to somebody. I've not worked, for, I've not like, been in employment, but I just didn't like the idea where I'll have to wake up in the morning and be, you know, 
juggling to work. I don't know. I know how I got the idea, but I didn't like it. I felt like I didn't like it. But I didn't know how after school I was going to, you know, I was going to operate or function. So in my mind, I was always going to be in academia. And I felt like, you know, professors, I, you know, they don't owe anybody an explanation. You know, they just wake up in the morning, read their own books and go into their class and stuff like that. And I like, I love teaching. Like, I love it. Uh, my dad is a teacher. I don't know maybe that's where I come from. And so um, I've taught in primary schools, I've taught in second, uh, junior high, secondary schools. Like, I've taught across the way. So I felt like, you no, know, finally I have to teach in the university. And so when I left school, when I was leaving school, you know, we have this national service program that was coming up. And, and then I remember two friends, two friends of mine, and I we had gone around, you know, some schools uh, in in Western region that, that want to place our national, they want we want we wanted them to have us as national service personnel. The idea was I wanted to remain in teaching and like that. So we are going to Infantsman, we had had a wonderful reception. Then uh, we had gone to you know uh, some other schools in Central. We went we went to Takrade now that uh, uh, how they call it Takrade Technical University. We had gone there as well, we done some groundwork. It all didn't work out. But finally, I was posted to a school, and I went to the school. Um, I met the IT guys, the the the, the teachers involved. They said they needed the personnel there. So I had to go and wait. I had to, I had to see the assistant headmistress. Now, when I had met her, for some reason, she just looked at me. He said, no, you don't need you don't need the IT guy in the school. So meanwhile, the government had posted me there. So I went back home. I said, I'm not going to my national service. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm just going to start home and see how everything plays. I had no idea. I was just not home. I had no idea. And then later, you know, University of Cape Coast called and said they needed you know, extra hands to be at the university. Um, then I'd gone there to serve as a, as a teaching assistant, which, you know, in my mind, that was God, you know, the hand of God working me into academia, which I had I always wanted to be in, but I didn't know how to get there. But I thought that was how it was going to work. But now before then, I had a friend, Isaac Amok, when if he ever gets to hear this, like I always give him thumbs up. Now it is through him that I ended up at Mest. When I was my final year, I was in computer science. This guy was doing business. He was always asking me like engineering, like uh, programming questions because they had done QBasic as part of their courses and he had come to see me. And he was fascinated about it, constantly bugging me, what is this, what is about. So he was always going around looking, you know, fishing for these things and he wanted to learn more. Then he had come across that advert about Meltwater. And then he had asked me to go, you know, that it's going to be interesting. And uh, I went to uh, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, the country crew. So I had gone there, attended their conference, and I wanted to go there. So when I finished, he said, no, I should. He was a business guy. He didn't go to the PricewaterhouseCoopers. He had gone to the Meltwater, which was for engineers. And I, the computer science guy, refused to go to Meltwater. I had gone to PricewaterhouseCoopers. And he insisted that I go to the to, to the to the virtual tiger thing. So we went there, we sat there, I ran Samida Kong. Um uh now he sat us for like um, he was speaking and then uh Jose and then some of the further guys that I listened to that I thought it was interesting. Uh yeah but not especially you know you mentioned you get a laptop you get all that I was thinking about that I was just in the first of house I felt like you know if I don't end up in academia. 
yes, if I don't end up in academia, I have to be advised for that. Because, you know, I like the whole prestige that comes with working there, you know, how these young, young guys come in their suit and stuff like that, you know. You know, I didn't like reporting, but I felt like, yeah, I mean, I could do with a place like that. You know, it's fine. I, I can handle it. Then, um, lazily, I, I decided to, you know, apply to Melton. So I remember my application was the last day. And, you know, internet was at, it was very slow then, 2008. Yes, so we went to some some place in Cape Coast, some town, and some cafe. Then we had to buy time, stuff like that. So my application went through, I think it was past the time, the deadline, my application went through. So in my mind, oh, forget it. I was, you know, satisfying the guy. You know, this, this guy was bagging me. So at least for him to do that, I have done the application. Then, you now I closed my mind. Then a few days, I had a call to come for an aptitude test. I'm like, oh, okay, let's go. I went there, wrote the aptitude test. I met a few guys from secondary school, a few friends from secondary school who had gone to other universities. They had nice conversations. And these were guys who were doing... Um, civil engineering, actor, like, ah, these guys, you guys are supposed to be, you know, chasing something. Why are you all chasing? What is so special about Melton that you guys, you know, are into it? Uh, apparently, apparently, you know, Melton has been to your school like a year before and they have had friends who have gone to the program. So they were aware. For me, I had no idea. So they, oh, they were talking about it. They have their seniors there. They have that blah, blah. Okay, it's going to be interesting. All right, let's see how it goes. Then, I went through the interviews, got the final interview. I thought I had done very well for the interview, you know. I met you we had a back and back and back, you know, back to back conversation, like argument, you know. In the beginning, I thought I was doing well, and then, but no, when you meet you in an interview, then yes, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, like, if you survive, then it's like, you know, you're good. In my mind, when I survived you I was very happy. So I was waiting for, Initially, I was not interested, but as I went to the process, I became enthused about it. And then uh, one day, so we had gone on vacation. We were all supposed to go home. But I decided to stay to wait for the reply. So I know where my next move is, whether I'm going home or I usually, you know, vacations, I don't go home. I stay on campus. No, so, so, so I had applied when I was in my final year. You know, the national service, I mentioned national service so that, like, you know how I was interested in academia and how I was trying to get into academia. But I had applied my final year, right? So when I completed school, everything, and I had to pack home, I was waiting to see where my move to go, whether I should go straight to the Motorwater campus and the hostel, I would have to go home, right? I needed to, I didn't want to go home and later I have to pack and go. I just needed, you know, to stay here and make sure that I know I knew where I was going. Then I had a call from, you know, uh, Elva. Yeah, like, he couldn't take me in there because then, then I was very down hard. To my, I, I, that was my first activity. They rejected me the first time. Yes, maybe they didn't. I was down hard. I was, yes, I was, yes. Oh, yeah, I, I applied twice. I was very disappointed, like, you know, distraught. Like, damn, but this looks so good because the process had seemed very smooth for me. You know, in the group interviews, I thought I had done well. The final interview, you know, I took all the boxes. So that is what be the reason. Anyway, so then I, I just went home and then closed my mind and melt water and then I was waiting to see what come, what came along. And that's not the national service. The national service story came in. 
I had to do all that run and then I ended up at, back at UC campus. Then the following year, the same Isaac Omako. Now he was in his final year. No, he was a year, be, a year behind me. Yeah. Now he was in his final year. And then he wanted to apply. Then he said, we should apply again together. I'm like, you, these guys, I'm going to the process to the end. They rejected me without any reason. How should I do that this time around go through it, you know? So I did the application. This time around, I was not, you know, I beginning I was so, yeah, I don't know. Let me just try it again. But as I went to the process, I was still not like, you know, because I thought I'd seen a year before, I don't want to keep my hopes up, you know. So I was very like a scholar about it. I went to, and in fact, in my first group interview, I, I, I mean, I was asked what my favorite movie was, and I actually forgot the title of the movie. Uh, they had asked me what my favorite team was, and I had struggled to match Manchester United for some reason. And then uh, I described just the movie, somebody mentioned the title, I said, yeah, that was it. So in my mind, oh, these guys are going to write me off. How can you forget your favorite movie? Stuff like that. Young mentioned, said he remembers me from last year, what have I been doing differently? That's how the conversation started. And then, you know, and I found this second interview with Young very difficult, apparently. Uh, I, I found it very difficult. And so when I was going home, I knew this one was, you know, forget it. So I'd gone back to my work and uh, two friends of mine were working on putting together um, um, IT slabs using uh, internet address licenses and we're recording it, trying to make a recording of it, then we sell it so that people can buy the CD and they autoplay it and then they'll learn about these things. So I've gone to working back on those things. And then, um, Lo and behold, I had a call that I got in the program. I don't know, I didn't know, like, my first reaction was shock. Uh, like, I was in shock. Really? If, if I look at my performance in the second one compared to the other, the previous one, in my opinion, the first one I put in my best. Whereas in the latest one, eh, for me, it was, I didn't really take it that serious, you know, but. Apparently, that was how I ended up in the program. So again, then I realized, eh, perhaps it's key to be relaxed about stuff. You don't have to be serious about everything. You know, you don't have to be serious about everything. Sometimes you just need to be yourself and relax and let's, you know, let nature take its course and then see how it goes. That's how I ended up at Meltwater. Uh, that's that whole long story um, at Meltwater. At Meltwater, yes, it was nice. When I went in the first year, okay. Then in the second year, I realized something about Emmanuel Adirenji. He was a co-founder. Emmanuel was so good with ideas. Man, he could come up with ideas. Fingertips, he's always coming up with ideas. Charlie, have you considered this? Always ideas. I was like, this guy is just, guy is so good, why? So I just told him, Charlie, Let's, let's be in a team together, right? Let's form a team, like I know the program. So in our first year, second semester, I think first year, second semester, early part of second semester, then we had formed a team, two-man team. And we planned that I was going to be the CTO or technically. So I should focus on getting my engineering to be good. He was going to focus on UI. It's like you be the UI guy. And then, both of us were not business guys. So then we had approached uh, Ebenezer Nubo. 
he who was a stripper, you know, in my stream, he's a stripper, the guy who does the business, the guy who does the presentation. So he's good with business, good with presentation, and good with you know, engineering. So he's the guy who can do our stuff. Then we spoke to him. Let's say he was down. So we had our team. People didn't have any idea, like, you know, we had our team. And he was supposed to focus on the business and getting to know his tech as well so that when the time evolves, we'll be able to have our team. So right from that time, we decided to fast hone our skills. Hone our skills. But when the time came, I was in my roommate and said, it was so good. Like, you know, when it comes to business, managing, I, I've, I've been in the room with him for two years and I could see how Seth is planning, how he scheduled his time. He takes care, he plans for the, you know, for the tiniest of things, you know. That's how good Seth was. His English was impeccable. I see how he was able to communicate at a business level. I mean, you cannot talk, but not everybody can communicate business, like, you know, talk business. They use the terminology. I know everybody could do it. And so I had seen Seth, like, evolve to that point. And he was not very good with engineering, you know. So then I told him, Manuel, actually, Seth is a serious guy. We don't have to let him go. So when the time was up for us from the teams, the three of us were already available. But we felt that we knew somebody was cut out for business. Cornelia was a stripper. He was doing everything. But we knew somebody who was cut out for the business part. And so we approached it like Charlie. We need you to join our team. But then we're going to give you the CEO role. And then we, we, we approached him. And Seth was okay because he looked at the person under him. And at that, I, I, I'm thinking he felt like, you know, that's a strong team. Um, so Seth came along. And then we had our team. So whereas I just were, you know, how do you call it? The negotiating and you know, doing all the back, the 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 had the, the behind the scene negotiation, and, you know, small, small talks here and there. In our minds, we knew what our team was. So we were okay, we were relaxed, we were, you know, all over like not all over us, you know, talking about it, but like you know, we're relaxed and just having time. Exactly. And then uh, after the teams were formed, some people would come back and tell us that, you know, it wasn't fair. You know, the comfort that we had on our team. That to, in it, you can pick out two people from our team and it could be a strong team. You know, I mean, people had come back to say it because I think Seth was one of the strongest business guys. Emmanuel was technically one of the good guys. Niza, sweeper. If, you're, if you need someone to support your tech guy, he's there. You need somebody to support your business guy. He's there. You need somebody to take out presentations. He's there. Like he can do all that stuff for you. He may not be the number one, but when you're looking for a strong business guys, he's there. Strong tech guys, he's there. He's everywhere, you know. And he's there. He, you have him in your team. Yeah. So that's how it played out um, at at Meltwater. Meltwater was a great place for me. I, I learned quite a lot. Um, that was how uh, it was Meltwater. I learned to define myself through a friend, you know, PK. Uh, we used to call him the passionate one because he, his passion was phenomenal. PK's passion, uh, passion was infectious. When everybody was, you know, at some point, so the program was difficult, you know, PK would come in with a passion, you know, like encourage everybody. So we had a session that was supposed to describe each other. And then he has said that I'm the kind of guy who lives in the mind. And I thought that was apt because, like, I could imagine my solo moment where I built a lot of castles in my head. I have a lot of, I can live my own life in my mind. I could do a dream. 
and have so many things on my mind, you know. And so you may not find me doing a lot of communication with others. But in my mind, you know, I was happily living in this world of fantasy, you know. And I think that was apt. And so since then, that's how I've described myself. Like I'm the guy, I, I, I live in my mind a lot. And yes, uh, a lot of ups and downs, difficult moments, but overall, mess was fun. So that's how we came about it. I'm sure we have to go along with we'll talk about the idea, but now that's how I ended up at MES and how we found it. Yeah. So how did you like you said earlier, how did you settle on the idea? Because one of the challenges I know most people have at MEST is coming up with an idea. And I think that's a similar challenge most people have when they are trying to start a business. Like I meet a lot of people, me, me inclusive. You're always trying to find the next big thing, trying to figure something out, and it's very hard. How did you settle on ClaimSync? Because if I remember MEST's program correctly, at least my time, I think it was the same period of time, you come up with two ideas, your primary idea and then your second, your backup idea. So how did you end up with ClaimSync? Um, yeah, so um, I've not done MBA, so I'm not going to be able to put technical terms to some of the things I would say. Um, and how probably describe it. I'm sure in books they say they will have a system or a process for it, but yeah. I, I do not know. <laughs> so, um, but I would say that like um, one of the ideas I think would always fly is the idea that you know um, that um, it's at the core of the founder, like it's part of you. Usually, if it's born out of a problem that you have encountered, then you always stress about it. So, so before I even go on, I would say that I always look for a problem to solve. Um, and I remember we had a, during our capstone sessions, our capstone sessions, for, for us, our, how do you call them? They were not teachers, they were um, the guy, the, the fellows. fellows. Yes, yeah. the fellows. We had, very good fellows. I, I'm not saying that the fellows that came later or before were not good, but those I experienced were very good. And they would always say, collapse. <laughs> don't, don't build collapse. So you may have this wonderful idea that technically is interesting because you're a tech guy, a tech guy. And so it tackles your, you know, tackles your skills. You won't be able to do this engineering and do this acrobatics and, you know, in engineer, engineer song. Some massive code and you feel good about yourself. You know, I said, no, yeah. like you can do that, but those are cool apps. You don't sell. Yeah. But some they call them painkiller versus vitamin. You say, make okay. a painkiller, not a vitamin. Uh-huh. That's even more like, I think that's, that's interesting. But he said, don't build cool apps. So when you introduce them, when you mention a product, they say, ah, this is a cool app. So it's solution. We, we came up with several ideas. Um, and why we settled on the final one is because Neza, Ebenezer Nubo, who is uh, the stripper, so he had gone to hospital. No, he had, I think he had a headache, something. You know, you know, Mess had a, the clinic that we all used to attend at the mall. He went there, they gave him medicine. Apparently, he was, um, how do you call it? Um, he had allergic allergy reactions to I think zinc or something like okay. nobody knew. And they gave him drugs that contained that. 
and immediately he started reacting to it. He had bumps in his face, you know. He was sick immediately. I accompanied him to the hospital, I remember. So that was a problem that he had, like, he had encountered that. I had a surgery when I was in the university. I had a surgery in Kumasi. And national health insurance, I couldn't use my national insurance. That was given to me by University of Cape Coast in Kumasi at the time. They didn't have my records. And I remember the nurse giving me a medication and not recording that medication. That No, the nurse recorded that she was giving medication, which she has not recorded. And I was going through pains. It was supposed to you know, reduce the pain after the whole thing has had the color and had left. And I was in pain. My sister came, confronted her. And she was like, she insisted that she has given me the drug. My sister said that this guy is a student at the university. How can he say that I'm not giving him a drug when you've given him? So a the intervention of a senior nurse took my drug box and opened and realized that all my drugs were intact. But then she had recorded that she's giving me the drug. So that, that's, that's a problem I had encountered. Within the health space, okay. within insurance. And the same for Nisa. If they had access to his records, probably they would, have, they would have given me the drug that had zinc inside that he would have reacted. Right? If there's an EMR, that the nurse was working with. Perhaps uh, EMR, I mean electronic medical record system. Perhaps um, there wouldn't be a, there wouldn't be that oversight, right? That um, she's giving me the medication record that she has not given me. They would have access to medical records. Perhaps they would have been able to use my shelf insurance um, right back in in, in Kumasi by the insurance that was given to me by University people. So that's how the idea came. That's how I started, we started the conversation. What if we build, you know, a tool that allow people to share their medical records across the board? Yes. But then realize that, you know, I mean, the details, now you can't see medical records from one hospital to the other. But then how can we see the medical records? But, people, but medical hospitals are allowed to share claim details with insurance companies. So if I'm an insurance company, I'm receiving all this medical information from different hospitals. I have access to the patient's medical record. If ClaimSync is the one gathering all these records and send them to insurance companies, I'm providing the hospital with an EMR, which is helping them move legacy, the paperwork from the hospitals, and also removing legacy paperwork from the insurance side, making everything uh, electronic. Whilst we in the middle are benefiting from all these medical records that we can build cool apps around, right? So that's how the idea that, but that, these ideas came up at the end, you know, this like putting fingers and legs to the, you know, hands and legs to the ideas. But that's how the idea started. The other idea was doing research. And we had, I thank God to set, thank God for set, you know, he, we had earlier. Very early when the team was when we hit the ground, started doing research. We started visiting companies, insurance companies. We were doing a wonderful research. We want to build a, a research tool. How would you like it? And we had nice responses and some nice ideas. So the other, the other tool was building um, a tool for collecting data for research, like market research data and stuff like that. And I think the others, which I don't really remember very well, but we had these two that we had settled on. In fact, 
when we selected the health based one over the research one. Somebody, uh, I think I'm not allowed to mention the name and then the product, but um, somebody would later use that idea and build the whole business out of it. That's very profitable today. One of the biggest business we have in Africa today. Um, yes. And in fact, you know, he talked to us. In fact, he told us that if we don't choose that idea, he will move forward with that idea. And when we didn't choose that idea, he actually went ahead with that idea. And then he built a business out of it. Like it's, it's big, um, very big today. So probably both our ideas for that film still gonna have to do good. But that's how we came about this the idea. So as I said, you should solve real problems, real problems. And usually when you solve, when you're trying to, an idea comes from what this problem you have experienced before and a lot of people have experienced before. You are better able to understand, you know, your customers. And they are better able to drive the value, you know, when you have, what value you are serving because for yourself, you can see the value immediately. And so it's easier to talk about it to other people for them to see the value that you are serving. Um, so I don't have any lofty ideas about how to get ideas, but from where I sit, you should be solving real problems. And if you're starting off a problem that you have encountered, even better. If thousands of poor sufferers, thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of poor suffering from that same problem, even better, then you have like a gold mine on your hand. That's, that's very informative. Um, so to be honest, I wish we could go on and on because <laughs> we've just got into the cleansing days or just after the cleansing days. Anyway, uh, let me ask you three final three questions and I would hope that your busy schedule will allow you to come on board one more time for another conversation because I wanted to ask to talk more about your current technical role, what you're doing, advice for up-and-coming programmers, but the, the conversations around Nest and uh, ClaimSync have been so interesting for me that I was just uh, soaking wisdom at grandpa's feet. <laughs> so, <laughs> now, challenges facing tech companies in Ghana. What are some of the challenges? I asked almost everybody I speak to, what are some of the challenges you think are facing tech companies in Ghana? That's one question. Maybe two, three challenges yeah. you think are facing them. And almost everybody right. mentions money as a point. <laughs> so maybe something else. Yes. Um, yeah, so I think, um, um, and in fact, yeah, there's a lot of stories to tell about Clemson and some great lessons to learn. Um, personally, yes, because for the other after Clemson, I've just been working in, back to the life which I initially didn't want to report into people. Um, not that it is not good because it, one of the things you learn at most that if it doesn't, you're not able to have a company if you go back and work and come back again. So working is not a bad thing in itself, right? You you learn to be patient and learn to be employees. So you know how to treat your employees. No, later on. That's just by the way. Um, I... Now, in my opinion, now it's better to have a tech company in Ghana or in Africa. Now it's better. Initially, you had adoption problems. Hospitals could see the value you are selling. Insurance companies could see the value you are selling, but they didn't, they were not willing to dish out the money to pay for the value which you're going to get at the end of it. That was a problem. And I think 
is still now we still have that problem at the individual level. I think companies may have evolved. But if you are doing a B2C business, that's a challenge you should be like you would be faced with. If you want to be charging the same way companies like your company is charging in the US, you're not going to make money in Ghana. Because they see the value, but they're not willing to pay for it the same way American or somebody in Europe will pay for it. And so you need to be able to rack up your numbers and ramp up numbers to be able to make up for the fees. So for me, I think um, being able to get, uh, maybe let me put it that way, having people who are willing to pay for your service or pay for the value at seven is still a challenge in my opinion um, in, in Ghana. And there are several companies I could mention who had, which were like very, they had great ideas, but they have not, they are still under the radar. They've not been able to, you know, have this jump because of money that people are not paying for. People are paying, but they are paying tiny amounts and that they are still struggling to break even and even begin to make profits. So that's number one. Um, two, investment opportunities. Uh, that would be my least like. I think, yes, you need investment, but I tell you what, there are, now there are several investment opportunities available. Even eight years ago at Clemson, we, we still had opportunity to be part of um, bootcamp, startup bootcamp, right? We had opportunity to be in startup bootcamp. And today there are several of them like, um, and because people now understand that you can run business from anywhere, you can compete in business in these competitions all over, you know? And so, yes, investment may be a challenge, which for me, it is likely to be my third, like to be the least, right? Um, and it, the second one would be the environment, you know? I think we need to be able to have, um, now you have all these smaller, you have these startups coming up, we have all these incubators like MEST, which is great. But how many of MEST do we have? You know, how many of mess do we have? We need to be able to have a bigger one, one that consolidates all of them, you know, put them into one, one big umbrella where they're able to feed off each other's energies, you know, feed off each other's energies. Um, and that is, that would be my second one. We need to have this big environment where the whole entrepreneurial spirit is very high. I don't know how we can arrive at that, whether it's education that needs to happen, but we need to have more people going in tech entrepreneurship. Like we need people going tech entrepreneurship. Um, I don't know how that can be done. Perhaps we need to. It needs to be a change of mindset that you don't always have to be looking for a job, but you can start by your own. Again, I can understand that there are issues with money. People, how can I bootstrap? If I bootstrap, especially in our case in Ghana, where when you went to finish school, your your family is looking up to you to start bringing something. Who they're not willing for it to come and waste another five years figuring out. Yes, come and wait five years trying to figure out your life, which somebody in America can use 10 years in Europe to 15 years to figure out his life and come up with a really cool idea. You don't have that time. After one year, your parents are looking up to start bringing you something to support your little brother, your cousin. Right? But I think the challenge is that we don't have a lot of these companies. So the energy is low. But I have a lot of these companies, they have people to, you know, to rely on for support and to be able to feed off each other's energy. And I think that buzz will go. You create that environment people are willing to buy, uh, to listen to you. I think finally, quality of engineers that we have. We may like to think that we have good engineers, 
oh, but I tell you, when it's not going to perform at that place, they know that. Um, you, are just, you may be doing, you are a trial and error engineer. If you happen to have been at MES, yes, you have serious training that will put you like you can compete. But there are only few, few good engineers outside of MES program. Majority of them are trial and error engineers. Oh, I like to know. I, I know. I, yeah, I'm a Java programmer. What can you do in Java? Start talking. You realize that it's not your You get in a practical things. You don't really understand the 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 the, 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 com the computer science behind what they are doing, and that's a problem. Somebody just using somebody may be using an array list over a linked list just because they find it easier to use. So I don't really understand why they should be doing it, and so I think quality engineering. We need quality engineers. Engineers who understand their stuff. They know what they are doing. It will go a long way to help you get better applications, which can compete. Not applications that when the numbers start growing, you have to rebuild again or, you know, it start crashing. I think we need serious engineers. And these days, the, the few who are good are all looking for jobs in Europe. And that's causing a problem for the companies in Africa because they can't pay them. So that's a challenge, I think. Um, need more quality engineers who are willing to work for companies while in Ghana. Thank Africa. you so much for your time having a chat with me. Um, I've learned a lot. <laughs> Almost everybody I talk to, I tell them that I, I think I started this podcast to have fun, to talk to people and learn from them. I've learned a lot from this. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? And by final thoughts, I think you're a very smart person, very experienced. So my, the thoughts here are for somebody starting out in technology or a bachelor student who doesn't even know what to do next. Or I think that I wrote something that you said by the time you were graduating school, you were confused. So if any final thoughts for such a person who might be listening. Um, I, I think, um, I, not to be honest, you put me on the, on the spot because um, uh, I'm not used to sharing my story, so I'm not used to having these things. My mother, I can always go back and pick up and come and tell you this cool stuff. You know, this is how you should do it, you know. And so, yeah, the answer may be all over the place. The answer may be all over the place, but I hope they can play the key important thing. Yes. So, for that person, for that person, um, I think you should, you should learn to fly loose. Um, as you should be flexible. You should be willing to accept changes. Um, I, I, I think you don't have to hold yourself, self too tight. You know, I'm fixated and worried about what the future holds for you. What you need to do is to make sure that you are the best at what you are doing, and wait for the moment to come. Just be like prepare yourself. Just keep preparing yourself and make sure that you are that you are best. Like. If you, if you are doing if you're doing UX design, make sure that you are the best UX design that you know. Like just be that good. And then opportunities will come when you start searching them. And then when opportunity meets preparation, I mean, I think there's a thing like that. And then when that's mm -hmm. not happening. So it's okay to be confused. I mean, it's okay. Everybody, I have not still figured it out. And it's not like I'm an important person. I've been listening to Obama, uh, his book, his latest book. And even at, at, at his presidency, at the tail of his presidency, 
He said, I don't forget everything out by himself. So it's okay to be confused. Just make sure that you are preparing yourself in that state of confusion. An opportunity come, you'll be, you'll be right there to be able to take it up, right? I don't know how else to put it to make it look yeah. sexy. But so I what I read down is, even though I, uh, you may be confused, keep preparing yourself in a state of confusion. Yeah. Yes, that's more sexy. I think you should be a, you should be a poet. Perhaps, perhaps. You should be writing <laughs> presidential speeches. Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> it's been really great having you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you once again. Yes, um, I, th- I thank you for the opportunity. Um, um, I, I shy away from these things. Um, usually, I shy away. Like, um, I feel like um, I still have... Um, and it's not like I've been thinking about it, but I feel like I have a long way to go. And it's still to start t- telling stories, right? So I usually shy away from it. And that's it. My wife is not here, so I can see it. Uh, that's something we have been talking about she feels like i should be able to share but i feel like there's a long way to go and so thanks for giving the opportunity to be able to share a tiny bit of my life i hope it makes that young boy sitting somewhere happy but so yeah thanks for the opportunity i'll say you're welcome but thank you again and in in response to what you just said one of the reasons a friend of mine messaged me my first podcast why i started this podcast like started podcast and I felt that way. I was like, ah, Nami, what do I know to share? But the thought of uh, the other person I said I met who said he hadn't met any Ghanaian developers or Black developers made me realize that even though yeah, in our local life, it's a Mindu baby, at least I've been able to get one job, two jobs, three jobs as a programmer. And there's somebody else who is now starting and my story may help that person. And for me, I'll tell you again, I have been learning, like, as you were talking, I was just writing down stuff. So, ooh, I've known him for a while, but I didn't know this. Ooh. So it's been very insightful for me. And thank you so much again. Thank you so much for coming on board. All right. The pleasure is mine. Larry again. <laughs> you already know that. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you learned something new or you discovered something new or at least you were a bit entertained. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast and see you again soon. And if it's the end of the week, do enjoy your week. If it's the end of the day, do enjoy your day. Basically, do have the best of whatever is left of the week or the day and see you soon. And one more thing, don't forget to reach out to me via email, via Twitter, to be able to tell me how I can improve this podcast to make it better and much more entertaining for you. See you next time.